Well, I'd like to welcome you all to my session. Uh, my name is Peter Zielinski. I'm a supply chain technology consultant, and I work for Barcoding. And today's session is on labels and data, how to achieve supply chain excellence. Now, to give you a little background on me and what I do, um, I help com companies make digital transformations and process improvements, including meeting their continuous improvement goals. And I do this by taking a look at their process, their people, their technology, and the data behind it, because data is very, very important. And the whole goal of any of these improvements is to reduce costs, increase their cash flow, or improve the customer experience. So enough about me. Let's start with why. Why are we here? Well, today's objectives, by the end of this session, you should be able to identify B2B supply chain excellence with some very simple concepts. I want you to understand how to improve the customer experience from both sides of that fence, both as a provider of that customer experience and as somebody who enjoys that experience. And I'd like you to understand that GS1 standards are a platform for success. So we're going to frame this with a storyline. And I want you to think about a warehouse at a manufacturing plant. Um, they've got a receiving dock. At that receiving dock, they bring in product. Well, we're going to light their hair on fire because they're missing a part. And the part that they need is vital to their production line. It's not something that they sell, buy, or ship. It's something that they use to maintain their conveyor systems. So their conveyor system looks kind of like this. And it's not in motion because they don't have this piece in stock. So their hair is on fire because they have an out-of-stock scenario. They need this part in a hurry. And they're waiting. It's costing them roughly $10,000 per minute because the production line is down. Uh, they've ordered the parts. The parts are due in today uh, from their supplier. And that line has to resume by the end of the day. So their hair is on fire. Um, what's the scenario going to look like at your facility? Well, when the pallet arrives, there's a few things that have to be done. The case that we need is somewhere on that mixed pallet. Hopefully, it's the last one they put on. Inside that case are a bunch of packages. And inside one of those packages is the part that we need. We have a needle in the haystack problem. Because that part is inside a carton, which is inside a case, which is somewhere over here. So that's the challenge at the receiving dock. And we don't know whether or not the guys in receiving even know this is coming. So standard operating procedures at a receiving dock. You need to be able to receive and unload that pallet, validate the bill of lading to the purchase order, inspect the goods, match the order quantity. Oops, sorry about that. Match the order quantity. Check the quality of what you're receiving. Um, if you're lucky, you're going to be able to enter that receipt into the ERP system. But we all know most of the time that paperwork just gets passed to someone else. So that item may not get into inventory until the next day. And then, of course, you've got to be able to put it away or expedite it. The question I have for you is, how long will you wait? Well, it depends on what type of system you have behind this operation. So let's assume that we're doing a manual receiving process. With a manual receiving process, it's a process of discovery. Oh, hey, a truck just arrived. Hey, here's the bill of lading. What does that bill of lading attach to? Now I've got to match the bill of lading to the purchase order, inspect those goods, match everything up. In order to do this, it's going to take me somewhere between one and four hours to unload that truck and get all those products into my warehouse. Um, this is typical. If you take a look at most small businesses, their shipping office, the receiving office, is the same guy. He does receiving in the morning, somewhere between 8 and 12, and he's going to do shipping in the afternoon. So if you're expecting a part to come in that morning, that's the guy who's responsible for this. So now let's take a look if we're using GS1 standards to automate and make our jobs more efficient and more easy. 
as an automated process that's going to be directed by the information behind the system. It's data directed. So you're going to receive and unload that pallet, and that's going to give you enough information to know exactly where it goes. It's got to go into stock, and it's a rush order. This is going to take, on average, 20 minutes or less from the moment that truck backs up to the moment that product gets to the destination it has to be at. And that's because you're using GS1 standards and good information behind this. So let's dive a little bit deeper into this scenario and talk about some of, some of the numbers behind this. Where's our cost savings at? So our definition of B2B excellence in this case is that GS1 guided transaction. So that pallet SSCC, that's a serialized shipping container code. And I'll get into more detail on that. I just want you to kind of identify the parts right now. Um, that's going to be scanned at the dock, at that receiving point, into a warehouse management system. Now, your warehouse management system is going to be doing the direction, and it's going to direct that pallet to a Kanban location, where if a pallet shows up here, I have to do something with it. That's part of that rush location concept. Every case on that pallet is going to get scanned, and that rush item is going to get expedited to maintenance. That's my definition of business-to-business -business excellence. So what's this going to take? If we want to take a look at the cost for this process, how much it's costing us to do this. Now, remember, I said their hair is on fire. Their hair is on fire because the line is down, and it's costing $10,000 per minute. So that's kind of our baseline standard. Uh, we're talking about a maintenance and repair operation and how much it's costing the company because this product is not in stock and they can't get the line running. Um, figuring out how much receiving is going to cost could be done using Six Sigma standards. I could put a time and motion study on every activity that's happening there, and we could figure out, on average, how much it costs for them to walk through those transactions. But we're doing some back of the math napkin here stuff. So what I want you to think about is how much would it cost someone else to do this for you? If you use a third-party logistics company, they're going to charge you $45 an hour for handling inventory. So let's figure out how much it's going to cost for doing this manual receipt and an automated receipt. Let's take a look at the number of touches. Anytime you reduce the number of touches, you reduce the amount of handling that happens in your process. You're reducing the amount of work your people have to do to get their jobs done. If it's not adding value, why are you doing it? So let's talk about reducing those touches. Based on my calculation, a best case manual receipt is going to take about 27 minutes. Now we're assuming for this 27 minutes that the pallet is the last pallet on the truck, so it's the first thing I unloaded, and that those cases that we wanted are one of the last things they shrink wrap, so it's in one of those top two stacks, one of those top two layers on the pallet. If this was a GS1 automated receipt, it's going to take less than half that amount of time. And I want to show you where the numbers came from. Um, if you're sitting in the back row, you might want to move up a little bit. But it, ideally, what it's all about is reducing the number of touches. In a manual operation, I've got to touch the pallet, the bill of lading. I've got to find that purchase order, stage that pallet, and break it down. And I've got some of that ERP system stuff. There's 10 lines that I have to pay attention to. My eyeballs have to be paying attention to the paperwork they're not paying attention to the product. I'm not getting anything done other than checking off boxes. Okay. Um, the expediting, then I've got to move my pallet, figure out which case, which pallet, break it all down and get it to maintenance, and then perform the transfer. On the GS1 side, all of those transactions that involve putting information together to tell me what to do are gone because we're using the system and shared information from my shipping company from my supplier to me using an advanced shipping notice to make our jobs easier. Because I don't have to handle the information. The information directs me to what needs to be done. I can do it in less than half the time and less than half the cost. If you're just looking at the receiving operation for one purchase order, for one item, 
we're saving more than 10 bucks for just receiving that one product. Um, if you're looking at it from the MRR viewpoint, the handling cost kind of goes away. It's all about how much time it takes. We're saving $140,000 worth of product that can get out faster. That's our cost uh, and our cost savings. So what are we doing with all of this? Where is this all coming from? Again, we're using GS1 standards for receiving. So that pallet serialized shipping container code is connected to advanced shipping notice. It's going to get scanned into the dock at the WMS and directed to that rush location. We've got two systems, one on either side. The supplier is giving me information about the, the, or, the goods that I purchased and all of the items that come along with that shipment. And my WMS is consuming that information to help direct my tasks. We know what's coming before it arrives. Therefore, we can do things more efficiently. We don't have to figure it out once it gets here. Um, because of that, all the cases will get scanned for handling, the item is going to get expedited to maintenance, and people will be much happier because the production line will be running. And again, typically 20 minutes or less is, is a good receiving standard within the industry using GS1 standards. I may be using that term a lot, I apologize. So what are the benefits of GS1 standards? If you're using the standards, you have reduced inefficiencies. You can't eliminate them, but you can cut them down. Um, improved product information supports the whole process. And because we, our systems are connected, we get enhanced traceability. Electronic order management is how we're accomplishing this using automated data capture like barcodes and RFID. That gives us enhanced inventory visibility and the overall result is operational excellence. Now the GS1 is an organization made up of member companies retailers, automotive industry, pharmaceutical manufacturers, everybody up and down the supply chain is a member of the GS1 organization. The whole purpose of the GS1 organization is to take out cost and make us more efficient, more accurate, and more connected so we can make better decisions and increase our customer experience and improve that. So I want to talk a little bit about Industry 4.0 and the fact that we're now in the age of digital transformation. GS1 standards support that digital transformation by making automation and data exchange automatic. A little redundant there, I apologize. Um, and I want to contrast the supply chain to the value chain. The supply chain, I want you to think about all the businesses along the way. The supply chain consists of all of the people adding value to that product as it moves throughout the supply chain. The value chain is the things that they do that actually add value. Matching up a purchase order to a bill of lading is not adding value. That's just checking off boxes. It's wasted effort. If you can automate that, the amount of cost you have is much higher. And let's talk about that whole value proposition thing a little bit. So if we're taking a look at the value chain, we're looking at the upstream or the sourcing, manufacturing, warehousing, transportation, retail, fulfillment, use, and then end of life. This is the value chain. A manufacturer actually makes product they're dealing with the upstream, they have to stock something in their warehouse, and they're probably doing transportation. So a member of the supply chain has more than one aspect of across the value chain. Now we're talking about uh, business and digital transformation. So those business trends coming across the top, data security and privacy, enhanced traceability, sustainability and green initiatives through recycling and reuse, on-demand logistics and services, automation and smart everything, or IOT. And last but not least, we've got the empowered consumer and mass customization. GS1 standards are part of this whole hump of where it has the most impact on those operations in that part of the value chain. And if you'll notice, manufacturing all the way across the board, GS1 standards power that whole process, or can make it more efficient, more connected, 
um, and a lot more accurate. And even down in retail, GS1 standards are a must. And the reason for that is GS1 standards are built on the lowly UPC code. Back in 1973, the very first UPC code was scanned in retail. Um, that's where a lot of that impact and cost takeout comes from. And we'll come back to this in just a moment. So where am I at? Well, we're talking about these GS1 standards, and we really haven't identified what they are. So let's get into some detail on this. It's all about being able to identify, capture, share, and use information. And by identify, we're talking about people, places, things, and events, things that occur with those people, places, and things. If we're capturing that information, we could be scanning barcodes or, or uh, RFID tags. Whatever we're doing, we're also able to analyze and retrieve more information about those things identified. And most importantly, we need to be able to share actionable data. And there's a standard for that based on something called EPCIS and the CBV. EPCIS is Electronic Product Code Information Services, which is a fancy way of saying we know what we're talking about. And we talk about it using the Common Business Vocabulary, or CBV. And the whole purpose of this is to make ourselves, again, more accurate, more efficient, and more connected across the supply chain. This is neighbors helping neighbors. I'm not just doing this for my own benefit. I'm doing this to help the other people down the supply chain benefit, as well as get help from people up the supply chain. So when I talk about that customer experience, I'm talking about enhancing the downstream and taking advantage of the upstream to make everything more efficient and more uh, simple. So a little bit of e economics 101. We're talking about improving the customer experience. It starts down here with the idea of a commodity being extracted, getting manufactured, adding value to that product, maybe delivering a service for that product and increasing the price premium and the amount of profit you can make as you go along the way. The poster child for this example is Starbucks. It's very simple when you kind of give yourselves a good example to work from. They start off with coffee beans, and they transform them into ground beans or maybe whole beans in a bag. And then they apply a service to that. That service is pouring you a cup of coffee. Now, you could go down to your local convenience store, your local gas station, and get that same cup of coffee. But it's not going to give you a fireplace, free Wi-Fi, and a comfy chair, right? You pay a premium for that Starbucks experience because it reduces your effort and it's more pleasant. It's more pleasant for you as a consumer. Uh, from the Starbucks point of view, I make a heck of a lot of money because I offer that experience to my customers and they keep coming back. That's the way I want you to frame using GS1 standards because within the supply chain, we occupy that same type of process from an undifferentiated raw material and a source all the way up through that customer experience. Each one of these places along the way has the opportunity to improve that experience for their customer so that their customer continues to come back to them and they have a much closer relationship. They do that by value-added activities, such as labeling with barcodes or RFID tags and offering sensory information or sensor data for that experience. So I want you to think about you've ordered a truckload of ice cream. That truckload of ice cream is sitting on the highway here in Atlanta and it's stopped in traffic and the air conditioner that is cooling that truck down is broken. There's sensors inside that truck that are telling me, by the way, it's been above registered temperature for a certain period of time and this truck is still not in motion. I'm getting all that event data courtesy of GS1 standards and that EPCIS, that global language of business that we'll talk about. Because I know that my ice cream is melting, I don't want to receive that shipment. As a matter of fact, I want to cancel that shipment and redirect another shipment to come in a day earlier 
so that I can keep my product in stock. Having that information available is a value-add activity that the supplier is giving me, that the logistics company upstream is giving me so that I can make better decisions. And yes, I will pay a premium for that because that means I can sell that ice cream today instead of having to wait till the end of the week. I can push more products through my system because I have a better relationship with my suppliers. That's what we're talking about with these value-add activities. And it starts with customer-compliant labeling at the item, at the carton, at the case pack, and at the pallet using GS1 standards or global trade identification numbers. The nice thing about a, excuse me, back that up. The nice thing about a global trade identification number is if I scan the item, I know there's one. If I scan the carton, I know based upon that single barcode how many eaches are inside that carton. If I grab the case pack and I scan that case pack, I know how many eaches, how many cartons are inside that case pack, and I only have to touch it once to consume that information. The same thing's true at the pallet level using global trade identifiers. Now, between a producer and a distributor, or between a manufacturer and a consumer, um, there's a relationship. I purchase something, it's getting shipped to me, I get an advanced shipping notice, I have a bill of lading. That transaction is tied to a serialized shipping container code, or an SSCC barcode. It's basically a license plate that identifies this pallet, this container is mine, because it's coming my way. That, again, has to be tied in with advanced shipping notices and EDI. Um, it's such a, a ubiquitous term now. I would bet almost everybody in here is using serialized shipping container codes and ASNs and EDI to communicate with their logistics company. If you look on your shipping dock, you're probably going to be seeing a SSCC barcode. And I'll give you an example of that in just a moment. But these value-add activities are how we connect the supply chain and become more efficient. Now, it's important because that allows us to answer our five W's and our H. We know who, what, where, why, and when our product is going to arrive without having to interact with other people. Because we know all that electronically, we're saving money up and down the supply chain because we can make better decisions on a near real-time basis. That's where the savings comes in. And sharing your data starts with the item master. If you're a manufacturer, you want to make sure you're a member of something like One World Sync, which is a global data synchronization network, and we'll come back to that term, because it all starts with knowing what you're selling and what you're shipping. Having those automatic identifiers is important for the entire supply chain. Now, between this entity and that entity, now we're talking about transactions, like shipments. They're going to share their information back and forth, whether you call it a data pool or an email. I don't really care. The whole concept is you've got a couple different layers and levels of information that's being shared. The item master data, or your master data, as well as uh, transactional data between two entities or more. Um, that GS1 standard solves the master data problem. Every company has a database that they have filled with data about products that they make, sell, or buy. If I create a new product and add it to my item master, I need a way of communicating that to my customers and clients. If they're part of my master data system, if they are a subscriber to GS1 standards, they have access to that information, can automatically synchronize it. How often have you had a manufacturer change their packaging on you? It went from eight to a box to 12 to a box, right? You're still ordering 30, because you're ordering it by eaches in your purchase order system, but when it arrives at the dock, it's in a different sized case or a different sized carton. That can cause a lot of inefficiency in your system unless you're synchronized so that you can recognize and consume that carton without any additional problems. Becoming a member of that master data system allows you to solve that problem. Again, One World Sync is one example of that. 
So a little bit of supply chain 101. Let's, let's show you where our cost savings really is. A supply chain is considered two or more parties, maybe a shipper and a receiver, uh, connected by a flow of information, goods, and money. And it all starts off with that order. But we know it's not that simple, because if I place an order for product, I want to make sure that I'm getting an order confirmation. If I don't get an order confirmation, I'm going to go order it from someplace else, because I want to know that product's going to arrive. So then they deliver the goods, and I get an invoice, because they want to make sure they get paid. And again, the, the payment eventually goes out. But this purchase order is not that simple anymore, because sometimes you get to the middle of a pallet, and inside that pallet is a damaged case. So now I want to have a return merchandise authorization request going out, because I want that product replaced, or I want credit for it. So now I send out a request, they give me an RMA, then I ship out the product, and then I get credit. One purchase order, we have nine different transactions happening here. Think about the number of touches. There are nine touches on the customer side. There's nine touches on the provider side. That's not very efficient. Only two of those touches involve actually moving goods. Everything else is touching paperwork or data. Now, if you take all of those touches out and you say, let's use electronic data interchange, seven of those nine transactions become automated. Now, I only have to focus on the two things I need to do, which is bringing product in and shipping product out. That's where the efficiency comes in. That's where the cost takeout comes in. And I'm doing this using the language of EPCIS, which is a global standard. EPCIS stands for Electronic Product Code Information Service. And the whole purpose of that is to identify the who, what, where, when, and why visibility of events using that common business vocabulary. This common business vocabulary is a standard that's evolved because businesses wanted to talk to each other. You can subscribe to that standard and adopt it and gain all of the efficiency of, of that whole global language of business. So there's some different dimensions to that event, and we kind of talk about these. It's the what, the when, the where, and the why. And the what's going to be identified by that GTIN or that Global Trade Identification Number, which now includes more than just the identifier of the item. It's also discrete information, such as the lot, the batch, the serial number, the catch weight. All of those other attributes are a part of that process in a single scan. When did the event take place? That allows you to get an order of precedence so that we can do traceability throughout the supply chain. Most importantly, where did it occur? Who's responsible for that event, that activity? And last but not least, what is that activity and why did the event take place? Uh, ice cream is melting. Here's your sensor data. What else would you like to know? That's disposition. It's in transit and it's melting. So this global language of, of business has its own benefits, including increased product safety through end-to-end -end traceability, improved inventory management because you can do just-in-time inventory because you know what's coming and when it's scheduled to arrive. That reduces the amount of out-of-stock so that that part, which we're waiting for at $10,000 a minute, should have gotten here before we needed it. Again, increased counterfeit protection comes from proper identification and that whole traceability issue. Improved theft protection because things are clearly identified as yours and mine. And this gives us more data for analytics, which is all about omni-channel and efficiency. So where are we going with this? This global language of business is made up of a couple different parts in our example. We start off with the master data, because we have to be a member of that global data synchronization network to get that basic item master information. Underneath that, everybody's got to have a global location number, because you have to know who's doing what where. On the logistics side, for that transaction that's happening between us, you have a serialized shipping container code, 
that identifies that container as part of that bill of lading or that purchase order. On, so on top of that, on that pallet, every item there should be identified with a global trade identification number. That's your UPC information. But now we're adding application identifiers to that so that we can receive it and do things like just-in-time inventory or first-in, first-out uh, inventory transactions and keep it efficient. Now the holy grail of traceability is serialized global trade item numbers so that each item is identified uniquely and can be associated with all the rest of that information in a single scan. That supports RFID tracing using the EPC standard, and that's one of the fundamental building blocks of a blockchain transaction is total traceability. So using this global language of business, we can now identify our pallet with a serialized shipping container code, looks something like this. If I zoom in on that, we're looking at something called a GS1 transport label that has a top, a middle, and a bottom. The most important part of that top, middle, and bottom is here's the from information, here's the to information for the people who are touching this pallet, but this license plate is everything I need to know because I'm sharing that information from the provider. That GS1 transport label is supported by possibly more license plates at the carton level or a GS1 content label identifying what's inside this carton in detail. Inside that carton, if we open it up, each one of those cartons should have a barcode on it to identify what's inside the carton. And last but not least, the items inside that carton should have some kind of indelible marking on them that shows us this particular item that I'm now replacing came in with this lot number so that I can tie it into a bill of lading and do a better job of maintenance and repairs. So from one end to the other, we've identified all of our handling units um, using GS1 standards, from the item through the case pack all the way out to the logistics unit. That's our definition of B2B excellence because now all of our products are identified all of our logistics units are identified, and we can communicate simply and efficiently using machine-readable codes um, to allow me to direct my traffic rather than having to figure it out on the fly. That enables me to capture, share, and use that information inside the four walls. Because I can do it inside the four walls, I can now make use of that information to direct my own operations. And it's all about using the benefits of the GS1 standards to reduce the inefficiencies, improve my product information, resulting in enhanced traceability and supporting electronic order management. All of that has a foundation of automated data capture underneath it to give me enhanced inventory visibility. Again, that's my definition of operational B2B excellence. So where am I going with this? Who's using GS1 standards now? Well, I started off my conversation by saying the very first UPC code uh, was scanned back in 1973 um, at a retail location. It was actually a grocery store in Ohio. So GS1 standards are fundamental to retail to be efficient and to keep their costs down. Uh, who else is doing this? The automotive industry. Without GS1 standards, they could not support just-in-time inventory. If you walk into any one of these automotive plants, you will not find a warehouse full of parts. Those parts arrive the day they're going to be put on that chassis so that when that chassis is moving down the line, the parts are arriving at the dock, and it's literally coming from their supplier to the production line and going out. And they need discrete traceability because they need the serial number on that motor that's going on that chassis that's being applied to that car automatically. They're very, very, very efficient, and GS1 standards support that. So adoption of GS1 standards as a technology has been going on for some time now. 
retailers and the automotive industry are a part of that adoption pattern. They were the first leaders, they were the innovators. The early adopters of GS1 standards were their suppliers, their immediate suppliers, the guys sending them parts. Uh, the early majority is everybody related to those early suppliers who've been able to take advantage of using those same standards because they're also being supplied by those suppliers. What about the rest of our B2B universe? Well, uh, I know for a fact that most of the B2B universe is somewhere in here. At least one third of all businesses that have inventory do not have a warehouse management system. Uh, the WERC, which is a warehousing working group, did a study back in 2019, 2018, and found out that, based upon their members, one third of them don't have a WMS. If you don't have a warehouse management system, you are not using GS1 standards. It's not possible. You can't possibly consume all of that, with one exception. You probably have shipping software that's putting a logistics label on products leaving your building. But you're not using it within the four walls. That's pretty much a standard, and I have some proof for that. Um, why are they not using GS1 standards? Uh, my company, Barcoding, did a study in the past year uh, talking about the Android migration from people who already have technology who need to move to newer technology. And what's holding them back? Well, what's holding them back most often is financial justification, a return on their investment or finding a budget for it. So 38% of them said this is the biggest reason we can't move forward. Coming close behind that was back-end integration or connecting their systems to other systems. GS1 standards are designed to meet both of those challenges. They're designed around making things more efficient, more accurate, and more connected across the supply chain so that you have automatic built-in ROI, return on investment. And to give you an example of where that return on investment is, look at our value chain and look at where the hump is at. If you're looking for return on your investment, look at any one of these value activities and match it up to any of the trends you are trying to do as a company, whether it's enhanced traceability or green sustainability, and you'll find that GS1 standards will make that job easier. That'll make it better. So where are we at? Well, we're talking about GS1 standards and how they apply to the supply chain. There's three different components to that. Identification, some standards for applying that identification to a product, and that includes RFID as well as barcodes. And I know this is a bit of an eye chart, so we're gonna get into this one in detail in a few moments, but I just wanted to kind of reintroduce our concepts here. We're using three different data standards for sharing. Master data, which is our uh, GTINs or our UPC codes. Uh, transactional data, which is the EDI or that transition from business to business. And last but not least, event data, which is things like the uh, temperature and sensor transactions happening along the logistics way. Those are our three standards. And they're all built upon some very fundamental pieces of data. I want you to pay attention to these parts in red or purple here. That's the GS1 company prefix. Each and every one of your companies has a GS1 company prefix if they're shipping product using an SSCC barcode. Now this is an example of a GTIN or a global trade identification number. You've got a packaging indicator out front, the who in the middle, and then an item reference or a serial number to identify that item as unique within their item master. That's kind of the fundamental part. That company prefix is issued with a fundamental uh, document like this, which is called a GS1 company prefix certificate. Most important part of that is your global location number. If you have a company prefix, you have a global location number so that they can associate those transactions with your company. Everybody has one because everybody is shipping out product with labels like this. 
Now, if you look at this serialized shipping container code, which is going to be tied to a automatic shipping notices, the very first part of this code is the company prefix. Starting off with zeros to say it's a serialized shipping container code, here's a company prefix, and then here's the actual serial number at the back end of that. That's what's uniquely identifying every container you ship. So if you have one of these leaving your shipping dock, you are a member of the GS1 organization. You've already got the building blocks in play, now you have to make use of them. So let's talk a little bit more about that. What are those building blocks? What are the things that we're identifying? Well, we're identifying people, places, and things. That's the key. And we're gonna start off by looking at our manufacturer and what his operation looks like. Well, he's got a global location number because that identifies the plant or the source of his products. Each one of his items has a global trade identifier that anybody who sells his product or needs to consume his product can recognize it by. Now, if he's shipping that product out by parcel, by the carton, he's gonna put a serialized shipping container code on that carton so that he can get it to his customers. If he accumulates those cases onto a pallet and sells the whole pallet as one unit, he might have a GTIN for that pallet quantity, he might have a serialized shipping container code for that pallet itself as a logistics unit, and if he's using a returnable asset identifier because he has plastic pallets or recyclable totes, uh, that has an identifier of its own. Last but not least, he owns his own trucks. That transport has a global individual asset identifier. Everything that he does or she does within that process has a different GS1 system key. So we can identify where products are in motion under control by one entity. Now as it moves on to the distributor, that distributor has their own global location identifier. If they're transporting on their trucks to a distribution center, they probably have a serialized shipping container code on the pallets that they're building. Now I want you to recognize that that serialized shipping container code is not the same one that gets put on the transport between the distribution center and the retailer. Those are two different transactions, they get two different serialized shipping container codes. So there's a little redundancy there. But in both cases, they have global trade identifiers from the manufacturer being carried throughout the system. Now there's a new identifier up there that you may not recognize, and that's that green little Martian in the corner. That is a consumer, a patient, or a caregiver. Now I want you to think about the pharmaceutical industry. Right now, the federal government and most governments across the planet are requiring dosage level traceability down to the unit. That means when a doctor gives me a dose of medication, that doctor is the last person in the supply chain, or that nurse. So that doctor or nurse has their own global service relationship number, so that we have end-to-end -end traceability for all of the products in motion, down to a serialized each level. So we've gone a long way from the UPC code. We're now using data-rich attributes, which include things like quantities, lots, serial numbers, all within a single barcode. Oops, let me back that up. Now we could also supplement that barcode with an RFID tag to make my operations more efficient so that I don't have to touch or scan the object to read it. And we've also got the possibility of using a two-dimensional barcode which takes up less landscape so that the people who are looking at my product get more information and the machines can pay attention to just what they need to know. Um, there's more than one way to achieve this data-rich attribute information. Unit-level traceability, again, is our holy grail using RFID code so that we can keep product at a distance and still know what we have. But there's more than one way to get that serialization. We can do it using GS1 data matrix barcodes. Have you been to the drugstore lately? Have you been to any pharmacist? 
every single one of those bottles that you see coming out of the uh, Walgreens or Schneider Drugs has a two-dimensional barcode on there if it's a pharmaceutical product. That two-dimensional barcode contains a whole bunch of information, including a serial number, to uniquely identify that unit. So GS1 fundamentals um, have gotten us pretty far, and they're built on a whole set of standards. GS1 standards are a platform for sharing information up and down the supply chain so that we're all more efficient, more accurate, and more connected. And it supports Industry 4.0 and all of that digital transformation. And again, GS1 standards are a technology, but they're a data-based technology supported by a bunch of physical technology. And all of these technologies are enablers. The GS1 standards afford you the ability to standardize your data. They afford you the ability to have good data governance across the supply chain. And it helps support cloud, robotics, deep AI, because you have to have good data. Otherwise, you have a garbage in, garbage out. You can do more things more poorly faster, or you can have good data behind them and actually get some efficiencies and cost takeout. And these enabling technologies are stronger in combination. Garbage in, garbage out, it's much better to have good, relevant data and standards to support all of these different transactions and optimizations. And not only are these enablers stronger in combination, eventually all of these innovations become infrastructure. Um, cell phones and smartphones used to be science fiction. The concept of the World Wide Web is still only about 20 years old. But now we take them for granted. So with that, I'd like to conclude my presentation for today. And thank you very much for your time. Um, if I didn't already pass out a business card and you want to come talk with us, we're in booth number 4615. Um, I work for Barcoding, and I'm a supply chain technology consultant. Um, my goal is to help you be more efficient, more accurate, and more connected, and make good use of your technology investments. Thank you again, and have yourselves a wonderful day.